legalizefreedom.com. Why are we here? Where do we come from? Where are we going? From the nature of reality to the future of humanity. Listen without limits. Unchain your brain. Change your thinking. Change your life. LegalizeFreedom.com Greetings and welcome once again to LegalizeFreedom.com. I'm your host, Greg Moffat, and my guests today are Phil Escott and Ben Hunt, who join us to discuss freedom of choice in food and health, and the individual's power to shape their own future in an age of crisis. Food has been used by elites as a weapon of control since the dawn of agriculture. In lockstep with digital monetary systems and tightly controlled energy supplies, it is now but one prong in an attack on the human mind, body and spirit. The object is to weaken resistance to and enforce compliance with the emerging global technocratic dictatorship, a form of which is currently seen in the so-called Great Reset. But there is a fragile tension between the problems that the Great Reset identifies and the solutions it proposes. This agenda asserts, for example, that our energy use is causing climate chaos while simultaneously constructing a global grid of control and surveillance which itself is massively energy intensive. Resisting the assault of the elites do what we say, not what we do diktats can seem overwhelming. However, in this gathering global gulag designed to demoralize us, rediscovering our ancestral heritage can be incredibly empowering, and it is a path each of us can follow for ourselves. Hello and welcome, Phil and Ben. Thank you so much for joining us once again on LegalizeFreedom.com. Thank you so much for, for having us on again, Greg. We've you and I have had a, a few chats over the years, diverse subjects from carnivory to awakening. And um, it's 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 odd, actually, that, that I actually met Greg in real life, first of all, which is a, a, an unusual thing these days. So great to see you again. Yeah, well, it was rather odd, Phil, you know, because it's so much it's the other way around these days, isn't it? You make contacts online and then maybe you seek to hook up in real life, you know, to, to sort of develop you know, relationships further. But Ben, we haven't met as far as I know, but um, you were on with Phil, um, certainly when the Red Pill Revolution book was published and the the links to anything that we have have done together in the past will be available on the interview page uh, for this uh, talk. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks, Greg. Thanks for having us on. Okay, so there's a recorded introduction that listeners will have heard, given a sort of general outline of what we're going to be talking about today. Um, Just before we dive into that, just for listeners who don't know Phil and Ben, just give them a brief uh, potted bio just so they, they know a little bit about you guys. Do you want to go first, Ben? Where you go? Yeah, well, um, it's hard to know where to start, really. I come from a, a background in web design, marketing, web development, all that kind of thing, programming. And when I look back at what I've done over the years, I've, I've really found it hard to settle on, on one thing that I was passionate enough about for it to occupy all my attention. I've always been kind of like a puppy in a field full of butterflies when it comes to projects. And I've started so many things and never finished them. 
And um, a few years ago, I was mad, mad keen about permaculture, growing my own veg, drawing down carbon from the atmosphere and building soil. And I, as as part of that, I started going along to a bunch of conferences and, and seminars and meeting some interesting people and was really surprised to hear some very new ideas, particularly about the importance of cattle and ruminant animals for the land and how they build soil. And more than that as well, the importance of meat and how we can get our, our nutrition from, from meat. Because like everyone else, I've been brought up at least for the last 20, 30 years being told that meat was a bad thing in general, bad for the environment and bad for our bodies as well. And that that led me to um, exploring people who eat mostly meat or even only meat. And that took me to Phil's 100% Carnivore and Beyond group on Facebook. I connected with Phil and really the rest of this history. So you, do you want to go ahead, Phil? Well, I, I come from a, a background that, you know, you would never have thought that I would end up as one of these carnivore lunatics. I was, uh, I spent most of my life as, um, uh, well, I'm 60 now. And from the sort of age of 20, after my sort of hallucinogenic times and traveling around with um, the free festivals, living on buses and in teepees and that kind of thing, I ended up sort of being a bit of a yogi and, uh, you know, then inevitably led down the uh, vegetarian route and got pretty, pretty uh, knowledgeable about it all and studied Ayurvedic medicine and whatever. And then Eventually, I, um, I, I, I got very, very sick. And this was after sort of writing books on uh, vegetarian eating and that kind of thing in the 90s. And in 2010, you know, I'm a drummer as well and uh, playing all sorts of bands, including the Daz Band, who did the, um, the, the, the sort of protest song, We Are the 99%, that got nicely shadow banned and took us off the number one spot Christmas before last. Um, but I, I, in 2010, I, I couldn't play anymore. I was sort of totally crippled with rheumatoid arthritis. And, um, I just, uh, I thought that that was it. That was the end of it, you know? And after my battles with, um, the, the medical system, I, I, and, and finding a way out of it, you know, first of all, going very vegan and not healing at all and just being emaciated, wasting away. And then, um, then going sort of, um, paleo, then keto, then, the transition to carnivore in 2015. I think a couple of years before that, I was pretty much okay and back out playing again. And and I uh, I wrote a book, Arthritis, the best thing that ever happened to me, just to show people that sometimes you know you have to throw out everything you thought you know you knew, and that has certainly been the case these past couple of years on many levels that I'm sure we'll touch on a lot of them. And so I ended up becoming this sort of English carnivore guy that gets interviewed about that, and I never did I ever think that I would be that, but um, yeah, so I've eaten nothing but meat for eight years now. But I, you know, we're dog, not dogmatic either, either Ben or me. And um, you know, it's just it's just learning about food and everything that we've been told is a lie, and everything on pretty much every level. All the stuff that you you cover on 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 your show here, Greg, you know, it's everything is a lie. And so coming to to together with Ben and a couple of other of our, our colleagues. Um, well, three of our colleagues actually to write the Red Pill Revolution book was was wonderful, you know, a couple of years ago, and and now we've done the Red Pill Food Revolution book, and and that's about to be published, and and you know, it's it's been amazing to do these deep dives on exactly what's gone wrong with healthcare, with uh, with farming, with, with with everything that we've been told. So, 
yeah that's where i'm coming from and um now i've teamed up with ben um to do the big fat challenge that we'll we'll mention later on maybe but you know for now um yeah it's just uncovering layers and layers of the onion of lies eh greg certainly are uh well the second half of the 20th century post world war 2 was certainly in the west beginning really in the us i suppose about increasing prosperity and abundance technological advancement and all of this filtering down to the everyday man and woman you know everyday families and that certainly that that those ideas those that that vision was certainly borne out for for many decades um, it began to falter very very slightly i think maybe in the 70s with the oil shock and whatnot and uh, uh gathering environmental concerns but in the 80s it was morning in america again under reagan and off we went and uh that carried on more or less through to the early part of the 21st century but growing voices of concern about you generally orientating around environmental issues started talking about um was the the, the general path that we were on with industrial civilization was it sustainable and the recent phase that we've lived through the pandemic phase uh you know where lots of things that we took for granted were upended and lots of uh new rules and restrictions were brought in and lots of our everyday freedoms in almost every dimension of daily life were taken away or if not taken away certainly drastically reduced and post that not that we're maybe very necessarily completely clear of that but the um that kind of those agendas that were uh, ramped up during that time during the pandemic years certainly seemed to be if not going into overdrive in some cases then certainly being you know bubbling away they certainly haven't gone away in the wake of covid and there's a strange tension here because there are still voices talking about advances in technology and improvements in standards of living and everything going forward. And, you know, the, the latest um, Apple products and these other technological marvels, they come out and, and people are still being encouraged to consume and uh, you know find meaning and purpose in life and all of this gadgetry and whatnot. And that generally the only, the only way is up uh, for human civilization. And yet we have some of the things that uh, I alluded to in my, my introduction these trends about, oh, you know, maybe you can't have this, maybe you can't have that. You have to cut this for this reason. And and it's overall, it's like you're going to have to have less. You're going to do less. And ultimately, as I see it, you're, you're going to have to be less as a result. Now, I'm no hardcore materialist. I think that, that life is about balance, about material and non-material. There's no harm in um, having nice things, having or wanting nice things. But that's not all there is. However, if we're being sold this idea that any of the benefits of you know of the um, material society um, are, are are not for us, and we have to give that up for the sake of I'm not quite exactly clear what you know that does seem to be the overarching agenda at the moment. And one area where I really particularly noticed that, and we talked about we talked about food and and uh, about diet. And as a very as someone who's always been very interested in food and where it comes from and how how we grow it and how we rear it, and you know in cooking and taking immense pleasure from eating, that this particular dimension of what's going on, and I know you guys feel the same about this, has has really you know uh, captured my attention and I, I you know I, I follow it closely, and now the headlines are all about 
not just about reducing, you know, for example, meat consumption, we mentioned carnivory, but just about f- farming in general, um, about, you know, basically no farmers, no food. So it's a very strange thing to sort of say that um, all of these anti-farming headlines that we see now and these um, restrictions, mainly across the EU, but in lots of different parts of the world, um, you know, like in Sri Lanka, for example, there was that famous uprising uh, saying that we should, we're going to give up, cut back on food production in order to save the environments. But food production is part of the environmental cycle. Yeah, um, I mean, you, you're, you're absolutely right, Greg. It's 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 gone completely insane. I think you know what Ben and I are very keen on is 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 to get people to remember our ancestral heritage on all levels. You know, on an emotional level, spiritual level, on a food level, and and when you look back at um, uh, our ancestors, when you when you look at the tribes these days still on their ancestral diet as hunter hunter gatherers, they have none of these problems. They don't damage the environment in any way. They have much better social interactions. Uh, they they respect animals much more than any vegan ever could. You know. They, they are. It's a society that 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 we've lost that we need to get back to, to get away from central control and to get back to, to sort of local, more local things. Buying stuff from your local farmers, um, and 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 understanding where we came from. And and you know, I I think um, I think it's it's so important in the modern world because the stuff that they're trying to push on us with all this so-called scientific research, like, um, you know, plant-based diets, uh, e- eating bugs, you know, this is this is Klaus Schwab's latest thing, isn't it? You know, we're all going to eat bugs. And Bill Gates pushing all these plant-based uh, uh, concoctions that are, are really just a combination of processed grains and seed oils, which are, are the worst type of human food there is. But the only thing that matters is to, is to save the animals and, and to save the planet. And, you know, with these things, we are not saving the planet. As a lot of um, vegans and vegetarians are surprised to find out, the, the most vegan thing on the menu is probably grass-fed lamb and beef. They live a great life on pasture. They're raised fine. They get a swift death. And they're, 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 the agriculture, the animal agriculture used in that way doesn't kill any wild animals, doesn't destroy the soil, doesn't rip up the hedgerows, whereas crop production... You know, you've got to go in there and, and rip up all the soil. You've got to rip the hedgerows out. You make lots of billions of wild animals homeless or kill them. Then you go in and plant all these uh, um, ridiculous monocrops that, um, that that destroy the soil. And and then you go in with, uh, with the pesticides. So you kill a whole load more animals. And then you go in with the combine harvesters and chew the big ones up, you know, and sort of uh, uh, macerate deer and foxes and God knows what everything, and so it's it's not a compassionate diet to eat plants, um, and it, but we're we're led to believe it is, and you know only about two and a half percent of the of the world's land is is suitable for crop production, and we've pretty much ruined the soil there. Whereas sort of I think a thirty odd percent or in the twenties I can't remember is suitable for for grazing. So now I'm not saying that everybody should go carnivorous. You know, it it is an incredibly useful thing when you understand about plant toxins and whatever to reverse all sorts of issues, all sorts of issues that meat is said to cause, I would say, which disappear when you eat nothing but 
but but meat. So we've been completely misled. And I think it's one of the prongs of their attack to to of their depopulation agenda. And, you know, I, two years, three years ago, I, I realized everyone was pretty stupid, you know, who was bringing out all these um, these guidelines. But I think it's a little bit worse than that. And the people up the top, I think, you know, they do not have our best interests at heart. And there are all sorts of things that they're doing at the moment. You know, I don't want to get too into some areas of what they're doing and get your channel pulled down, Greg. But, you know, people will probably know what I mean. Um, but in the area of food, it, it is war. It, it's war against these people. And eventually there won't even be any of the of the the, the processed um, stuff that Bill Gates and Klaus Schwab are pushing left because there won't be any soil. So we've got to wake up to our ancestral diet and what actually does restore the land, you know, leaving aside the climate hoax. Because, I mean, you know, is it really down to burping and farting cows that, that we have a problem, which we probably don't have anyway? But, you know, there was millions of 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 um a buffalo roaming the plains um you know before a more more a bigger number of them than we have as as factory farms now factory farmed animals now i believe and you know were they holding their farts and burps in i very much doubt it so and there weren't weren't any problems back then that anybody noticed so everything is the old fear-mongering problem reaction solution and the problems aren't there the reactions are overblown and the solutions are absolute nonsense so that's what I'd have to say on that. What, what, what have you got, Ben, to add to that? Well, I mean, it, in the uh, in our last book, the Red Pill, Red Pill Food Revolution, which isn't actually out on the market yet, it'll be any day now, any week now, we, we look at all of these things and really the process of tracing how food has been used as a weapon to control the population since the dawn of agriculture which is actually extremely recent, you know, um, has been really, really mind-blowing. I mean, not only is eating plants um, a lot more stressful on the body and and the direct cause of all kinds of uh, chronic disease, you know, what we call disease, diseases of civilization, um, it's terrible for the soil, as, as Phil alluded to. If you look into the work of a guy called David R. Montgomery, he wrote a book called Dirt, The Erosion of Civilizations. And he, he actually traced back over since the dawn of civilization, which is about 10,000 years ago. It's a blink of an eye in evolutionary terms. Uh, he's traced the, the timeline that every civilization, every great empire that has arisen has died out in the space of about 500 to 1,000 years. And his hypothesis is it's all for the same reason. It's all because they destroyed their soil. And we love to think of farming, this this idyllic image of a, a single horse and a farmer following behind with his plow and seagulls swooping down for, for worms and stuff like that um, as being somehow sustainable and, and good and healthy. And it just isn't. It's It's not great for our health. We lost about 10% of our stature, our height, and 10% of our our brain capacity when we switched at, at the end of the last ice age from being hunters and gatherers to farmers. Um, there is, there's no record, practically zero, of any kind of chronic diseases from the bone record that, that we, that we get. Um, and when you, when you actually look at, look at the, the, the facts as, as we set out in the book, um it's it's utterly remarkable but the the fact is that the, with every pass of the plow um as, as phil mentioned people figured out that 
that it appears to make the soil more fertile when you plow it, when you till it, as, as they say in America. And that's actually true, but in a very short term. So what happens is you, you, you slice through the soils. Now in, in nature, soil is never meant to be bare and exposed to the, the elements and the sunlight and the air and, and everything else. Um, anywhere you go in nature, if the soil is bare, there's nothing growing. It's by definition. In nature, if you go onto grassland, there's a, there's a blanket of decomposing grass on the, on the ground. If you go into a woodland, there's a blanket of decomposing leaf litter on the ground. And what this does is it acts as like a blanket for, for the, for the flesh of Mother Earth. It means that raindrops just are, are absorbed and, and their impact is absorbed. It keeps the oxygen away and all kinds of stuff. And it, it, it really helps to nourish and to feed the ground. Now, when you go and plow and you, you, you slice through the soil and you overturn it, then what happens is that you kill uh, worms, you kill all kinds of living things, uh, fungal networks, uh, mycelium growing under the ground, and, and even bacteria and stuff. And these things that are meant to live in the soil that are suddenly exposed to sunlight, UV light, um, and, and lots of oxygen and stuff like that, these things die off. So what happens is the death, the, the, the incredible numbers of deaths that, that the plow creates and causes, um, the, these creatures, uh, bodies start to decompose and then release nitrogen into the soil that the plants love. And that sounds great. And your plants grow better because you've plowed the soil and it helps you to sow your seeds and everything else. But then, the problem is that you are you're oxidizing some of the carbon in the soil you're reducing the overall biomass in the soil and over the space of about 500 years you're going to reduce that soil to dirt to inert sand or clay or whatever it is so if you i mean all you need to do is to look at for example the the cradle of civilization the um the eastern part of the Mediterranean, North Africa, what they used to call the Fertile Crescent, and this is where the agricultural revolution happened uh, about 10,000 years ago. And we, you had you had great empires like Mesopotamia, and, and then we had ancient Greece and the ancient Egyptians and stuff like that. All of these things have died out. The Romans, 2,000 years ago, used to grow most of their grain and most of their olives in the area of North Africa that we now call the Sahara Desert. And it's agriculture that reduced the soil to dirt, to sand, to dead clay. And these civilizations aren't there anymore. You know, the Persians have gone. They've all gone because their soil ran out. And the Romans had to keep expanding their empire because they were literally running out of soil. They had to occupy other places to, to make soil. So agriculture, the idea of agriculture being green and, and healthy is complete nonsense. And yet it's still pushed as the way to go. And another really, really fascinating area that, that we can get onto as well is actually the, the ethical and the spiritual side of us being told that we should eat grains and sugar and, and all of this, the, the food pyramid, the healthy eating plate, whatever they did, they reinvent it, reinvent it for every generation. Um, but the, it, when, when you look at the facts, in, in the cold light of day, I think it's absolutely unequivocal that, um, the, the, the shift to 
basing uh, the, the majority of our diet on plants has come at a catastrophic cost in every aspect of human existence. The, the only one that's really benefited is that because you can uh, extract so many more calories from an area of land using agriculture than you can from having wild animals roaming and going out and hunting them, that it, it's, it created wealth, it created richness, it created inequality, and it was the foundation of, of human society as we know it, because previously we were pretty much limited to about one human being per square mile of land, because that's all nature will support in in her natural patterns. Um, but then when you start extracting, so, I mean, we're talking about like 2,000 plus times more calories that you can get from farming than you, than you can from hunting. So it's a no-brainer in economic terms. But that then led us really into a kind of arms arms race to see who could reproduce and have the most kids and, and create the most people and then create armies and go out and destroy other people to nick their land. Um, and that's really led to where we are today. And it's all happened, like I say, completely in the blink of an eye. Well, in, in terms of eating plants or you know nuts or fruits, in the within the, the hunter gatherer paradigm, that you know some of those things and you know different um, diets in different parts of the world at different times, but some of those things are being consumed. You know, people are eating apples from trees, and uh, you know they're eating nuts and berries and whatnot as they find them where they go. But the point is, you know, within that structure that they're they're not that isn't agriculture they're finding things that are just growing in the wild anyway as they move from place to place you know so they they hunt animals they fish uh they you know they they trap you know animals whatever it happens to be and uh, oh and here's a you know here's an apple tree um here are some blackberries whatever it happens to be and that can form part of the of, of their diet so that but that's completely different so just talking about eating things other than you know meat and fish or dairy that that in within that earlier paradigm then these things were just naturally occurring so there in terms of environmental impact that wasn't really there whether it was animal products or whether it was plant products these were things that were part of the natural you know the, the part of the biosphere that humans themselves were part of and uh we moved around that space and and found what we needed to um survive and uh you know, those animals, some of those animals were preying on others, some of those animals were eating some of those plants. And every now and then, one of the, you know, some of the human beings might fall prey themselves to a superior predator. But it was part of a system that was kind of self-sustaining. Absolutely. Yeah. And and we talk about this at great length in the book. We actually go through what it, life would have been like in the Paleolithic. Um, the, 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 the bare facts are that, yeah, we absolutely gathered local and seasonal vegetables. I mean, actually, vegetables didn't really exist, but like you say, nuts, soft fruits, even grass seeds. There's evidence of, of uh, humans in the late Paleolithic gathering grass seeds and, and doing that, but the the evidence of tools to process uh, grains is very, very recent compared to evidence of tools for, for processing meat. So, yeah, we absolutely did do it. And what's interesting is that at that time of year, when the grasses are in seed, um, when the soft fruits appear, when the nuts appear. So we're talking from the summer through to the autumn. That is also the time of year when it really, really made a whole lot of sense for you to store some body fat 
for the winter. And I mean, uh, fruits, for example, are loaded with sugar, and that is extremely addictive and compelling. So, yeah, if if we'd have come across a, a bush full of ripe berries that we knew were safe to eat, we would have absolutely filled our boots. There's no question about it. We would have gorged on these things. We'd have got an insulin spike, which then tells your fat cells to to store as much as they can. Um, there's an excess of like omega-6 fatty acids in grass seeds as well, which do a similar thing, tell your fat cells to store as much as they can. And that would have actually been a really, really useful survival trait for us, helping to load up that body fat to give us energy through the winter and also to give us some insulation through the winter. But the, the key thing is that those same foods like, um, Nuts, for example, can be very high in oxalates and, and other anti-nutrients and toxins. The, the sugar itself is very high in deuterium and stuff like that, all stuff that we've, that we've explored. But the fact is that in the natural breathing in and out, the yin and the yang of the, of the, the solar year, you, your body would then have stored a lot of this stuff, including the toxins in your fat cells. But then over the winter, as you burn the fat off, you get up every day, you go behind the bush and have a wee, and you excrete some of these toxins every day. So you cleanse throughout the winter. The problem today is you've got people eating 70% of the current American diet is made up of stuff with practically zero nutritional value whatsoever. You're talking wheat, corn, soy, sugar, and seed oils right? There's almost no nutritional value in there. They are packed with anti-nutrients and toxins. And that is just completely overloading our, bo- our body's ability to, to cope. Our bodies are actually really, really good at, at dealing with environmental toxins. We've got countless mechanisms for dealing with this stuff and for getting rid of it uh, gradually over time. But when you're going and you're guzzling half a gallon of soda that's loaded with high fructose corn syrup, your body's processes that have yeah, evolutionarily 99% of our time, we were hunters and gatherers. It's only very recently that we've switched to drinking Coca-Cola and uh, there's no way our bodies have been able to adapt to it. So we are literally completely intoxicated by sugar and by seed oils, which by rights, it just stuff is not fit for human consumption. And we can go on and on about about this stuff. It's it's all in the book. It's uh, but it's absolutely fascinating when you when you step back and look at it and realize, hang on, the food that they are telling us is healthy, the diet they're telling us is healthy, and then you look around, and almost fifty percent of the American population is now obese, so clinically dangerously fat. Um, we've got. We're being told that one in two of us are going to get cancer in our lifetimes if you were born after 1960 now. You know, type 2 diabetes is going through the roof. Alzheimer's is going through the roof. Heart disease is going through the roof. And these things were almost unknown in the 19th century. And nobody talks about this stuff. It's absolutely crazy. There was a survey done in, in Boston, the town of Boston, as it was in 1811, so just over 200 years ago, and they listed the cause of every death in the town in that year. And I don't think there was one heart attack. Even if you include everyone that, that was listed as sudden death, that's like 2.5%. And now heart disease is the number one killer. So something's gone really, really badly wrong. But just like the soil, 
You don't notice the soil dying off, dying off slowly, generation after generation, because our lives are relatively short and we don't really make a record of this stuff. But again, our health has absolutely plummeted in the last 150 years in particular, since we started making our food using industrial methods and to prioritize profit margin over um, nutrition. Um, but but nobody's nobody's really talking about it. And it's absolutely clear as day that our governments, our leaders, um, just don't care. And, and, they, and they are continuing to push us down further down that path. So what we say to people is, you cannot wait for official anything to change its mind and to change its policy and to start giving you advice that's going to be good for you. You have to accept the brutal fact that the, the powers that be uh, don't give a toss about about uh, your health. In fact, they probably profit more if you get sick because then you pay twice because you have to pay for all the pharmaceuticals as well. So it's it's really quite a kind of a shocking black pill moment. But then the flip side of that is that you realize actually, so, okay, if if the bad news is that no one is going to come and, and save me and, and look after my health and it's all down to me, well, the good news is it's all down to me and I can do something about it. And that's the message that we're trying to take out and uh, let everyone know before it's too late. Yeah, can, can I can I jump in and expand on a bit what Ben said there? Because absolutely spot on. And, and you know, I, I speak to a lot of people, a lot of clients who I help out of sort of autoimmune conditions, other chronic diseases. And the results that I see when they go fully carnivore are just spectacular. I can't believe it. And and why is this? It, it's because there are no toxins in meat. There are none. I mean, the vegans or, or and a lot of the mainstream people say there are tremendous toxins in meat. There are no toxins uh, in meat. There's, there's, you know, hormones and antibiotics and things that we inject them with. But, you know, you should be buying your, your, your meat from farmers who don't do that. Um, but even so, the worst meat is nowhere near as toxic as organic veg. Did you know, for example, that there are 136 known human carcinogens in an organic Brussels sprout? That's before they put the glyphosate on. So you might as well buy the non-organic ones because there's just 137 toxins. The least toxic veg has about 60. These things are not eaten. Stalks and leaves are not eaten by tribes. They'll eat tubers. They'll eat, as Ben says, nuts and berries in 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 the autumn, in season when that where they when they occur. But then again, in the northern climes, they don't. You know, the northern people they eat basically one hundred percent meat. And even down at the equator, I had a wonderful lady called Mary Ruddick on my podcast, the Red Pill Buddhist podcast, and she got very sick from veganism, was bedridden. Now she just travels around and and, and she fixed herself with carnivory. Now she just goes around and stays with all the tribes. And, you know, Africa, the Amazon, the Arctic, even in the Amazon and uh, uh, Africa, there's, you know, they don't eat many plants. They don't find them that often. And they're only used as starvation food when the hunt fails. And um, it, up in the north, obviously, there's, there's 100 percent. But she's lived with them and she knows. And their diets are often very misrepresented, which is another thing where they sort of lie about the blue zones and what they ate. But that's 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 another um, uh, area to go into another time, maybe. But. You know, there's one thing I'd just like to 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 take us through here, that how Ben says everything we've been told is healthy. 
right? You know, all of the fruit and veg in our shops didn't exist like more than a couple of hundred years ago. It, it's just apart from the old apple and blackberry, but these things that get shipped in the the, the plants that we've created, you know, by crossbreeding and whatever, nobody ate a leaf leafy green veg it's incredibly toxic i've been there i've had the oxalate poisoning i've done the kidney the the the, the green smoothies you know and ended up with kidney stones and i'm still dumping oxalates 12 years after i did that to myself it's oxalates is a horrific poison if anybody wants to look into it <clears throat> look at the work of somebody called sally k norton but how we've been fooled down the ages of what's healthy and what isn't. The five-a-day thing, nonsense. You don't need it. Meat has everything you need. Yes, it has enough vitamin C in the absence of carbs. You don't need fiber. You don't need all of these things are complete hoaxes about food. Like if if somebody is is healthy and they eat seasonal plants that come up, why not? Avoid grains and seed oils. These are not human foods. We're not adapted to them. But if you want to eat local seasonal fruit and veg, fruit rather, not veg, it's not really seasonal. It doesn't really exist, as Ben said. But, you know, go ahead. But when people are really sick for a while, at least for a few months, for a year or so, it's really good to go back to just meat. Now, I've eaten it only meat for about eight years. And, and you know, I'm still alive. If 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 anything was true about what we're told, I, I'd be dead by now, surely, because I've eaten the most dangerous food animal fats that cause heart disease no it doesn't meat the cause of cancer no it doesn't these tribes don't have cancer so i'd just like to tell one quick little story before i shut up which really brings it home to people about what how how we've been fooled on all levels not just economically but spiritually but it's all tied in i believe with the the evil people who are up the top and have controlled us for for millennia really so in the 1800s, there was a young girl called Ellen G. White, and she was part of the Seventh-day Adventist church. Um, and she uh, had these visions that we should all eat a, a Garden of Eden diet uh, and we should all eat these plants. And basically because sexual desire was evil and we shouldn't have sexual desire. Obviously, she was steering us towards plant based eating because it ruins your hormones. And then, you know, you don't have so much libido. Um, anyway, her family uh, as she started producing these pamphlets and books, her family um, hired this young boy. I think he was 10 or 12 at the time to do the typesetting and help her out with these things. He got brainwashed. He grew up and ended up with a load of cereal companies in the Midwest. And, and his name was Harvey J. Kellogg. And, you know, seriously, as as we often say in the carnival world and people are starting to realize this, it, this really makes um cornflakes like anti-masturbation cornflakes they're, they're, they're like a sort of pill to ruin your hormones and, and and ruin your sexual desire because that was evil now harvey j Kellogg was a lunatic i mean he had these weird sanatoriums that was uh you know it's in a film isn't it the path to wellness or something the road to wellness i can't remember but you know the, the road to wellville is it called the road to wellville that's it it's beautiful i mean the man was insane but not only that but i was pretty evil i mean he used to say Right. You know, like young boys, if they touch themselves, they must be circumcised to have pain. And then maybe that will keep their hands away from it. And girls should have sort of caustic substances put on there. And if that doesn't work, they should actually have, you know, have female circumcision performed. And the man was mad. And as we walk down the cereal aisle now, knowing this, you have a completely different view of what's going on. And this has been used as a control through the spiritual side, through the economic side, through the rulers. You know, they all eat meat and let them eat cake. And, and, you know, this has been there forever. You know, the, the, the gladiators that were fed all these oats and whatever to make them fat. They weren't ripped, muscular guys like you see in Hollywood. They were 
they were fat bastards that could take a lot of sword cuts, you know, and they were expendable. They were slaves. And all this stuff has been romanticized. So on all levels, we've been horrifically fooled and everything is upside down. So, um, yeah, there we go. There's a, f- a few ways that we've come into it in the, in the, the economic and spiritual um, um, f- tomfoolery. That concludes part one of our interview. Part two will be available soon in the subscribers area at legalizefreedom.com. Legalizefreedom.com.